Hey everyone, it's Mike. Thank you so much for listening to episode five of Holy Spirits. I just wanted to let everybody know that there is actually a bonus segment at the end of this show after the outro music. It was pretty fun to record, but it is pretty grisly. So if you don't have a strong stomach, you might want to skip that part. If you like, you can just peace out after the outro music. I hope you like the show. Thanks again for listening. John, I love you. John Krasinski. John Krasinski. I love, I love you. you, she says. I love you. Keep John Krasinski. Okay. Fuck Trump. Okay. <laughs> Fuck, Fuck Trump. Trump. <laughs> Welcome to Holy Spirits, the show where we're not going to heaven. But you might be. You might. You might be. My name's Mike. I'm Tara. I'm Heather. And today we are talking about Mary Magdalene. Fan-freaking-tastic. Oh, and the Holy Spirit for today is tequila. Clink, clink. Clink, clink. Oh my god, I think you guys took some of my salt. Mike and I are drinking a Maxarita because Heather's son Max made them for us. And they're and divine. They're, they're so good. They're oh so much God. better than anything that you would ever get at any sort of restaurant. I'm so sad. I am drinking something else. Yeah. Heather was like, I don't do margaritas. <laughs> do tequila. And then she made her own. So thing. I'm doing Malibu rum mm. and pomegranate oh. juice with a twist of lime. It's actually pretty good. Well, it's still very uh, like tropical. Very vacation. tropical. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you can email us at holyspiritspodcast at gmail.com. And our SoundCloud is soundcloud.com slash holy underscore spirits, which is still very exciting. I'm still totally fucking stoked that that's a thing. Yep, yep. And we have a Facebook page. You can find us. I made the group uh, public now, so anyone can find it. Woohoo. Yeah, we're moving on up, guys. And we're going to start, like, posting shit there, which will be very exciting. Yeah. Invite your friends. Yep. More to come. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're, like, making this thing happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting. So... Let's start. What do you guys know about Mary Magdalene? Heather raised her hand. She really wants to talk about this, but I'm totally going to jump in and say that the only thing I know is that she was around with Jesus and that some people really enjoy her as part of the story and some people really have her set up as just this villain in the story. I have no idea the who, why, when, where, whys. I just know that she was around. And that's all Tara has to give to this. And Heather, go. She was not a whore. (laughs) (laughs) Close your legs to married men. She was not a whore. She actually kind of foot the bill for Jesus's ministry. She kind of, she was the bankroll. And she was like the most trusted, I guess you couldn't call her apostle because she was a woman. But she was the apostle of all apostles. And she was in like, opinion. in my opinion, just the correct opinion. Did you do research? No, I'm telling you, this is just what she knew. Okay, damn. And like, it really freaked me out because she all of a sudden called me one day and was like, hey, did you see that Mary Magdalene's on the schedule? <laughs> and I just wanted you to know, she was not a whore. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I was like, okay. <laughs> she was not a whore. I was like, I didn't call her one. I don't know why you're yelling at me. <laughs> Like some pope, Pope the Fourth, I don't know who, like did some, <laughs> yeah, you know. She's got something against that pope. She, she got, he got like, mm-hmm. And I think some of the other apostles were like jealous of her because they're like, Jesus, why are you listening to her? She's a woman. You know, they had no value yeah. except birthing mm-hmm. babies or whatever. Birthing them babies. Yeah. That's what and so she was like, I think Jesus trusted her the most. And, you know, and then there's rumors that 
they were boyfriend and girlfriend and that, you know, she may have even had his child, but mm-hmm. yeah, she, she was, and she was smart. Mm. She was like, okay, damn. <laughs> so you can just pack your shit. Okay. Up. Well, that's so the episode. Just, Thank you. Yeah. So you can just leave. <laughs> yeah. And we don't need no man to tell us about our, <laughs> our heroine. We don't need no man to tell us about Mary. Oh, God. And Mary, Mary was a very popular name back then because there was Mary Magdalene there's Virgin Mary, and there's some other Mary. Mm-hmm. There, there are lots a, of There, there was like a trio Mary. of Marys. Anyway, and only... I think, wasn't there even a book of Mary or a gospel of Mary? Oh, that... we're super going to go there. Okay. And... and it got cut out. She's a woman. Oh, my God. Start. I'm in it. Uh, so, yes, absolutely. You're, you are both quite on uh, in terms of your descriptions. Not a whore. Not a whore. <laughs> God um, damn it. Mary Magdalene was one of the companions of Jesus. Uh, she is considered a saint by most churches that do that. Obviously, not all churches do the whole saint thing, but the Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, Eastern Orthodox churches, she's a saint in all of them. Like, she's clearly a very major figure. She's a saint, yet people mm-hmm. shmear her I name. That I didn't know. I didn't mm-hmm. know she was a saint. Mm-hmm. So she is known as the apostle to the apostles. In some of the oh, sources. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's, that's, that's why my face was doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so uh, she yeah. she features really really prominently in the apocryphal gospels. So all of the fan fiction, the stories that didn't make the cut to the Bible, the things that were kind of stories that were circulating as the church was kind of forming, but it eventually kind of falls out of fashion. I guess mm-hmm. uh, people don't really put much stock by them. These, it's also important to remember that the Apocryphal Gospels uh, would have been written after her death. The, we call them um, the canonical Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They were written between like the 70s and like the 110s. And so Jesus died, you know, around 30 AD or CE, how, whichever nomenclature you want to use. So that's still decades afterward, right? Yeah. Like the people who wrote those Gospels may have talked to people who knew Jesus or talked to people who knew people who knew Jesus, but like they, it's incredibly unlikely that any source was written who personally knew Jesus as, as a person. Well, I mean, yeah, because life expectancy also was like, what, to like 22? Oh, yeah, it was shit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And plus, God was going to come back and wipe out the world, so why write it down? Exactly. And that's a really big problem in the early church is that because a lot of Jesus' messages were interpreted as being really apocalyptic, the first century church did not bother writing anything down. They were like, Jesus will be right back. <laughs> and then eventually, as people kind of started dying and the generations were turning over and they had all of these traditions, they were like, oh shit, we should probably write it down because mm-hmm. he's obviously taking a sweet time about it. And now it's been 2,000 years. Wow. Yeah. Put that into perspective. The Apocrypha depicts her as being Jesus' favorite and the one who kind of gets it best. So Heather's right in that regard as well, mm-hmm. to the point that Peter, who is generally understood to be Jesus' favorite, also kind of gets mad, talks about the gender thing, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the last thing that I want to say before we kind of actually dive in is that she is mentioned in the canonical Gospels more than most apostles and more than any non-family woman. As far as people go, she's important. As far as women go, she's like... The shit. A fucking important mm-hmm. person. I mean, right? And whenever she's a part of a group of women, she's almost always listed first, which seems to indicate that she's the most important of the female followers of Jesus. Interesting. I want to know who she is. So, she is generally uh, accepted to be historically real. 
which is interesting. Remember, Jesus is pretty much definitely historically real as well. Like mm-hmm. there are there are there's nobody who's like Jesus was a legend who you know developed yeah. into something. Jesus was almost certainly real, and Mary Magdalene was almost certainly real. Obviously, she didn't write anything herself. So the Gospels have the most information about her, and kind of the the other thing about that is that a bunch of lore pops up around her, specifically in the Middle Ages. So it's hard to get real, true information about this woman that we're pretty positive lived, because the only sources are the Gospels, but then there's a bunch of other interfering stories from the Middle Ages where people were just kind of making shit up. And so that makes it kind of tricky. The, her, her moniker Magdalene means that she probably came from a town called Magdala, which is a real place. It's in modern-day Israel. It's obviously abandoned now. Um, it seems to have been a fishing community. And remember in our Pontius Pilate episode, we talked about just like the crazy times of political upheaval when Jesus lived, right? The Romans had freshly taken over and then they had freshly become an empire. There were a lot of changes all at once. And so there are some sources that speculate, obviously it's kind of out there in terms of speculation, but like the idea that this was a village that had like crazy new taxes after all of this turmoil is like a pretty reasonable assumption. That's kind of one of the guesses as like why she might have followed Jesus is she lived in this community and the community was like suddenly economically really inefficient. They were doing all of this taxes and there was all of this new rule and then this charismatic preacher comes to town. She decides to kind of pick up shop and follow him because he seems to be this kind of philosophical way of the future. Which I think is kind of nice, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't mean this offensively. Jesus kind of sounds culty. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, even yeah. even in the like true biblical perspective, obviously cult has a bunch of negative connotations. But in the, in the Gospels, like in the actual source material, mm-hmm. Jesus is a hippy-dippy dude who is wandering from town to town and people just like drop what they're doing and follow him. Mm-hmm. And like in later generations, in the kind of cults of the 20th century as we know them, that's very much how people were, and a lot of the, like, cult theology that springs up is very, like, do what Jesus' disciples did, just, like, drop your lives and follow me. Yeah. Which, I don't know if you guys have watched Waco yet on Netflix. You should if you haven't. But they actually go into explaining that, that Jesus was actually a, a cult leader, and that only modern day did we start making that negativity because we have changed, you know everyone has to follow the same rules so much and that that therefore cults are bad when Mm -hmm. cult was just really somebody had you know something that you agreed with and you dropped your life to go follow that Mm -hmm. so i just find that interesting the more Mm -hmm. i hear about it so she was like maybe not the original follower but she was like an important follower Mm -hmm. yes absolutely okay so in the gospel of mark she isn't mentioned until the crucifixion but in Luke, there are a lot more details about her. In the Gospel of Luke, it does mention, like Heather said, because Heather was nailing it in mm-hmm. the intro segment. <laughs> <laughs> it mentions that she helps to financially support the disciples. Um, it says that she, quote, provided for them out of her resources. Mm-hmm. So she, it does seem she got money. Mm-hmm. So is that why people thought that she was like a brothel type yeah, it was like it was like why would a woman have money is one yeah. of the questions that people are asking. And like the only thing that a woman could do is lie on her back and open her vagina for somebody to get money. I mean, maybe. Mary Magdalene is included in a small group of women who tag along on while Jesus does his Jesusing. Mm-hmm. According to Luke, again, in in some gospels they don't even really bother to give her a backstory, but in Luke it says that Jesus cast seven demons out of her. 
mm-hmm. which is interesting. Could it have been just like illnesses or, you know? Right. Jesus is known as an exorcist and a healer. Like, it's one of the things that he does, that he's constantly ca- casting demons out of people. Uh, there was no modern medicine, obviously. So mm-hmm. people were like, if you are physically ill, it's because you have a demon inside you, obviously. Mm-hmm. Canonically, he is more of a magic doctor. Yeah. A god doctor, if mm-hmm. you will. So, like, she could have had a cold, and he could have brought her some chicken broth. Absolutely. And yes. she got better. It's like, oh, I cast that demon out of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kind of. That, mm-hmm. That's possible. Yeah. There's also a sin interpretation because demons could possess her if she was spiritually impure. So, like, if she's running around having a bad life, then the demons hop in. And so Mm -hmm. Jesus, like, is trying to cure her of her bad lifestyle Mm -hmm. is, like, kind of another connotation. Uh, Which is why people thought she was a whore. Right. She's not a whore. Right. She seems to have had, like, some baggage. Yeah. Uh, And it says... Who doesn't? I mean, right. (laughs) Uh, and honestly, like, there are various stories on if it is the same one seven times and, like, Jesus keeps having to come back, like, a not-very-thorough exterminator, mm-hmm. or if it's seven different demons that are, like, clumped inside her, like, really inefficiently zoned housing, and mm-hmm. Jesus is like, no! Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, seven is a traditional number of completion in um, Judaic mythology. Is that why so, seven sins? Yeah, it's part of the reason. It's just a very, like, round, complete magic number. So Mary Magdalene is present at the crucifixion of Jesus in all the canonical gospels in Luke, the women are not named, but like she was fucking there. Yeah. Uh, the crucifixion is like, uh, obviously a really, really important, um, moment in the Bible, like Jesus dying for our sins, for the world. Hello. But that's one of the reasons why they're sure that she was a real person mm-hmm. is because women were at the time not legally able to give testimony in court mm. because women were viewed as so unreliable you know, all women are lying whores. Right. And so... And yeah. we're all crazy. Exactly. We yeah. have seven you, demons in us. Yeah. All You're all so hysterical. We're yeah. just hysterical. I'm pretty hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if, if one of the main witnesses to one of the most important times in your religion is a woman, it feels like you wouldn't make that up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, well, that seems like you were probably just telling the, the real story at that point. Totes my goats. Totes my goats. So she's the first or among the first to see Jesus' tomb empty in all the Gospels as well. Okay, let me back up a little bit. So Jesus dies by crucifixion, which is, like, Agreed. horrible and sad and very, mm-hmm. very gross. If you haven't read about crucifixion, it's, like, the worst possible way that you can die. Mm-hmm. Do they go into detail about that in the Bible? No, they just say that he was crucified. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's led to some really weird debates of... Like, did they put his feet on one on top of the other on the front of the cross? Or did they dangle his feet on either side of the base of the cross and then put the nails in through his ankles? What would be worse? Probably the nails through the ankles, but I couldn't tell you. I've never been crucified. <laughs> Next and it's, time. Like, not on my bucket list. <laughs> it would be the last item on my bucket list. Yeah. And there are a couple of other, like, details. Like So, like, on either side of the wood, the ankles are pushed in, like... Be, like, on either side of the post. Yeah, yeah, yeah on either oh. side. Like, your feet I are... I feel dangling. like the only crucifixion I've seen there are the feet on top of each other. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the most common way that people think of it. That's how the Catholic churches do it. Or, or, like, the cross that Jesus is crucified on is, like, a lowercase t. Like, it has um, a little bit of vertical pointing up. Mm-hmm. But some people think that it could have been a capital T where there's no vertical poking up over the cross beam. Mm-hmm. Crucifixion is like, it's fucking horrible in every single way. They, they basically always were naked at the time to humiliate them. Mm-hmm. When you are like dangling on the cross because of the way that your arms are spread, you actually suffocate. Uh, and that's actually a thing in the Bible is while Jesus is on the cross, 
they go to break his legs, which is the thing they would do so that you couldn't hold yourself up to breathe. But yeah, you like you can't breathe, so you hold yourself up on yeah. your legs, and so to kill you faster, they'll go around and break your legs so that you can't dangle up, so you suffocate. I think in a way that's merciful because you're dying faster. I mean, yeah, the whole thing is. I and mean, like, horribly. Yeah. But yeah, but like the the whole like the word crucifixion comes from the word. Uh, it's the Latin cruciare or cruciare, depending on how you say it. But it's the verb to torture. And then fix, like, to affix to something. Like, it's literally, you stick mm -hmm. someone up to torture them. It's the worst. Like, it, we, we underestimate, because we're so desensitized to the idea that Jesus was killed, that the cross is an incredibly violent, horrifying yes. symbol. I'm absolutely, like, yeah, horrified. In yeah. the early church, they would actually do, apparently, I, I haven't checked this. I, I didn't do it as a part of my research for this episode. But apparently in the early church, their symbol was the fish, just with two uh, kind of curved strokes. So yeah, like yeah, that super Jesus, simple. Jesus yeah, the Jesus fish. On everyone's cars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so apparently what they taught us in Sunday school, and again, I haven't checked this, is that one of the ways that Christians would find each other is they would walk in, in the sand. They would do one swipe with their foot, and then someone else would do the other swipe with their foot to complete the fish. And that's how you knew that you were with another Christian. Because most of the Roman emperors, Diocletian and Nero... Like, they all just were horrible to early Christians until Constantine converted the Roman Empire. I love these aha moments. I <laughs> thought the whole Jesus fish had to do with, like, when Jesus took that one guy, that dude out, and he couldn't catch any fish, and then they caught a bunch of fish. Right. And, well, and one of his things that he says is, hey, Peter, let's go fishing for men. <laughs> I know how it sounds. Why not? Yeah, I but, mean, but my favorite Saturday night. Yeah, the loaves and the fishes. Yeah, the let's the, go fishing wedding, for men. The, yeah, the he walks on water, which is mm -hmm. still a very like marine kind of experience. Can I tell you guys what I thought it was? What? Because now I just feel stupid. Yes, please. I thought that it was like you can't lead a horse to water. Like you can't teach a fisherman to fish. Like this was like a whole like you have to. What? You, like you have to you have to teach them how to, to do fish? to fish and what? like. I thought it was like a whole symbolism, like of a, like you know, the Bible is what I need to teach you. I like that. So I'm, it's interesting. But like that's where you, my brain you just went. Go with that. After after this horrible crucifixion, blah blah blah, extremely upsetting. Jesus gets buried, and according to the Bible, there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea who pays for a, a tomb. Tombs are like super expensive, so this is like a weird kind of controversial story. And so they put Jesus in a tomb. They roll a great big rock in front of it that's too heavy for anyone to move. And then when Mary Magdalene and all the women go to the tomb the next day, the rock is gone and Jesus is risen from the dead. That's what Easter is. The women go to Jesus' tomb. As Why? A, but they were going to the tomb so that they could put spices on Jesus' body. Because, Preserve it? Because it starts to decay and it stinks. Yeah. And so they were going to use spices so it wouldn't stink so bad. Which is which was like a, apparently a pretty normal thing to do. That's why Mary Magdalene is there, is that they were going to stop the body from stinking so bad. So they were like, listen, let's go like rub him down like a chicken. And... They were going to baste him. And then they get there and they're like, oh, holy moly! They're like, wait, where'd he go? <laughs> In the resurrection story, the women are crucially important. They're the first ones there to see that Jesus is risen. Mm -hmm. Just like with the women going to see the crucifixion. The fact that the women are there at the resurrection is interesting because, again, women are not, like, trustworthy people in this society. So we have not one but two major theological events in which women are, if not pr principal witnesses, they're the only witnesses. So what you're telling me is, is that Jesus didn't rise again and that this is a conspiracy of the women 
too have done something with Jesus's body. That's what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing Jesus was pro woman. That's much more where I'm going. Okay. <laughs> uh, but it's actually technically possible that the tomb story was kind of built on the legend that the women were at the crucifixion. So like the women are already good witnesses, so they might as well witness something later. Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so it's crucial to say too that Jesus's teaching was probably not like equal rights for women. Um, I was thinking about like the best way to explain this. And from my perspective, it would be like equal rights for women at that time would be kind of like saying, let's abolish the gender binary. like. Okay, it's like something that dovetails with some of the things that people think about in like the modern, you know, we're we're pro-gay, we're pro-trans people, we're trying to be more accepting in our culture, we're trying to be less toxic about, you know, gender roles. But there are very few people, if any, nowadays who are trying to say we need to get rid of gender at all, like goodbye to the entire institution of it. Uh, even though, like, I don't think that it would be a bad thing to get rid of gender as a thing. Like, I don't really know what the world would look like necessarily. I haven't really seen any good proposals for how we would abolish gender. It's a very out there idea, but it kind of aligns with my values. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I imagine Jesus considering the possibility of equal rights for women. It was like, not really in the wheelhouse. He was like, women should be treated better. Like, he clearly has a bunch of female followers. Uh, obviously Mary Magdalene, like we've said, is very important to him, but it's not really what he's doing necessarily. Does does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just kind of happened organically. Yeah. Almost. I mean, there wasn't enough energy to spend on not, like, it didn't help him to do, to support it, but it didn't help him to not support it. He was like, we should treat women better. And if someone in there was like, equal rights, he'd be like, whatever, I guess. Yeah. 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 Like, okay, if that's really what you guys think. Yeah. He's like, we definitely need to do better. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but one of the ideas that is really crucial, she seems to have a lot of money. She is a woman, which makes her shady and possibly kind of whorish. So, and, but she does follow Jesus and she is very important religious figure. So the idea comes up and we're going to revisit this a little bit more later. The idea sticks that she is very penitent after being a very sinner. She was like a worthless piece of shit. And then she repented like super fucking hardcore. And that makes her super holy, mm-hmm. which is part of the reason why she is considered a saint in all of those churches. So she was like the original, like, if you repent, then you get forgiveness type like poster child. Exactly. She was like the She's like the uh, rehabilitated heroin addict who talks to elementary schools. Yes. That was her. We're going to talk now about some Apocrypha. Mm -hmm. My favorite. Yes, the fan fiction, the things that didn't make the cut. uh, These have a bit more information than the Gospels do because, again, she's like vaguely mentioned as being around for all the important stuff. Uh, But the, the Apocrypha gives us a little bit more of an idea. Most of these are written about a century after Jesus died or even a little later. Uh, And most of them are kind of incomplete. So those are my disclaimers, is that these are texts that we don't really know the everything about them because we don't have them in their complete forms. So if they, like, had a weird, like, curveball at the very end that kind of undercut some other part of the message, we'd have no way of knowing that. Um, So I do want to take just a second to talk about Coptic because most of these are written in Coptic. And I think it's fucking fascinating. What's Coptic? Coptic, Coptic is Egyptian. Okay. So, uh... I thought you were saying Coptic. 
<laughs> and I was like, grab your badge, grab your gun, yeah. Yeah. turn on those sirens, yeah. it's time yeah. to ride. And I was yeah. like, hmm, interesting. <laughs> you know, I love that you were both like, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> cop tip, we've all been there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that a porno? I was like, that's Old Testament, but sure. <laughs> Just Coptic for a hot sec, just because yes. I think Egyptian. It, yes. So um, Egyptian is, well, we call it attested, meaning we have like writings from like 2000 BC, like super, super old. In the span of, you know, 500 CE to 1500 CE in that thousand years, Latin became Spanish. Like a thousand years does quite a lot for languages, right? Wow. Yeah. And my my point is that Egyptian changes over time. So in the like very earliest writings we have, it's probably pronounced slightly differently than like some of the later writings compared to Cleopatra's time, for example. Like Egyptian is changing. It's probably still a relatively conservative language. It doesn't make a jump like Latin and Spanish so much. So by the time post Cleopatra, when the Romans have taken over Egypt. Um, and then after the Romans, the, the Muslims take over and they eventually start writing Egyptian in the Greek alphabet, which is funny because I can read the Greek alphabet because I know the Russian alphabet. So like I can read you a lot. So like I was reading a Coptic script and I was like, I got like these letters actually, like it's just kind of weird. But so uh, they started, they started writing with a modified Greek alphabet. They kind of slow down using it after the Muslims take over in the 600s because Arabic becomes the administrative language. And then by the 1200s, Arabic has replaced it. So in modern Egypt, they only speak Arabic, really, to speak of. They, like, Coptic exists as uh, what we call an ecclesiastical language, like a a church language for, like, sacred texts and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's not really um, spoken very much. There there have been some recent attempts to revitalize it just because people think that it's important culturally. Do people speak Hebrew? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. as, like, part of just, like, their language? Or is that more of, like, a religious language? Uh, it is both. It Hebrew is the official language of Israel. Okay, okay, here's a very stupid question. Okay. Mine was pretty stupid. Yiddish, Hebrew. Oh, I love this question. Go. Okay, so <laughs> Hebrew is a very ancient language. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Bible is, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. There's a, a linguistic concept called a creole. So Haitian creole is the one that people always think of. A creole is where you um, speak a pigeon, and the pigeon becomes a thing that people speak generation to generation. A pigeon is where you mix. A pigeon is like Spanglish. So, like, Clay's whole family are technically creole because they're in French, but, like, not... But it's, like, I think it's technically creole because they're, like, Cajun. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, like, there's certain words that I think French people could pick out as, Mm. like, oh, that's French, but... Like, not, I would not, yeah. like, it wouldn't be proper French that, like, I would have been taught in school. Yeah. Like, it's French. Like, that's just been mm-hmm. gone through the generations through Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Or, like, um, Jamaican Creole is based partially on English, just like Haitian mm-hmm. Creole is based partially on French. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say that this is Jamaican Creole. It might be a different Creole based on English. But one of them, um, the word for you is you, and the word for I is me, and the word for we is you, me. Like, obviously, you and me super clearly related to English, blah, 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 but using Yumi for we is like, wait, 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 wait. Like, that's different. Like, I could probably get there, but it's kind of weird to me. Yeah. That's how kind of Creoles work, is when you mesh languages together. Mm-hmm. And so Yiddish is a mesh of when we see the Jewish diaspora, which we talked about um, after Pontius Pilate uh, mm-hmm. reigned in Judea. So the Jewish people are migrating through Europe. They kind of partially assimilate into some of the European cultures, 
partially because they are living there and so they just end up doing it partially because they're forced to in a series of very sad and brutal stories. Yiddish is a Creole of German and Hebrew. Okay. And the name Yiddish is actually, actually kind of like harsh when you say it. Yiddish is from the German word Yiddish, meaning Jewish. Mm-hmm. So it's just Jewish is what Yiddish means. Uh, and it's written using Hebrew letters. So like if you look at the writing, they'll, they won't look super different to us okay. as non-Hebrew speakers. But, uh, but anyway, so yeah. yeah, Coptic is Egyptian and it's um, Egyptian in the later, later phase. Uh, so the first one, the first ap- apocryphal book that I want to talk about is the Gospel of Mary, which Heather also talked about. Uh, so this one technically could be about the mother of Jesus. Uh, it doesn't necessarily specify which Mary. It's probably Mary Magdalene. So many Marys. So many Marys. So in this one, you get a little bit of the like post-resurrection story mm-hmm. um, where Jesus has been killed and all of the apostles are sitting around and they're like, we don't want to go outside. Jesus just got fucking killed, dude. Yeah. So they're We're all next. So they're all like fucking stressed about it. Mm-hmm. And Mary, the Mary who is the protagonist, presumably Mary Magdalene, says they have a duty to spread God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, she so in this gospel it says that women can be saved as they are, which is huge. That's not like a you need permission to get into heaven. That's not like a you have a vagina, so you're never gonna get there. So like mm-hmm. nice try. Mm-hmm. That's not like a, well, you need to do like a super special, like something to get there. That's like, if you are holy enough, you get into heaven and it doesn't matter if you're a woman. That's like an incredible sentiment. Like this is huge. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Mm-hmm. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah, And Peter also says in this gospel that Jesus loved Mary more than any other woman. So it seems that in this gospel, Mary has spoken to Jesus after Jesus was resurrected and it doesn't seem that Peter has, because Peter asks Mary for what Jesus said. And Peter is pissed. Yeah, so she 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 starts talking like Jesus said X, Y, and Z, and Jesus mm-hmm. said blah, blah, blah. And then Peter and Andrew, a different disciple, do not appreciate... Where the fuck did Andrew come from? I mean, right? That's the thing about Mary I've Magdalene. I've never heard of Andrew. Right, that's the thing about Mary Magdalene, though, is like, you know her far better than you know the disciples. You know Peter, and you know Judas, and like... like yeah. Who else do we got? Paul? There are a few others who are mentioned. (laughs) Peter and Andrew don't appreciate what she's saying. They argue with her. Mm -hmm. Um, And Peter basically says, why would Jesus just, like, talk to some woman as if, like, she would know better than we would? But, like, Mary obviously has spoken to Jesus, has the ultimate authority, and Peter is being, like, a petulant tool. Mm -hmm. But so that's, that's... all that I have written down for the Gospel of Mary, but like that that should that's tell you. That's all that happens. Well, that's all that happens that concerns us. It's most of what happens in the book. It's a whole book about thing. her. Yeah, but it's like the quote unquote book. Like yeah. it's not it's not like a comprehensive okay. hundreds of it's pages. It's not a Harry Potter page. It's it's like an incomplete text. Gotcha. Uh, so then we have the Gospel of Thomas, which is also written in Coptic. Mm. Who the hell is Thomas? Andrew and Thomas. Right? Gospel of Thomas, again, written in Coptic, um, that's just mostly sayings. It, like, there's not very much meat to it. People are like, why it's the like fuck a is... It's board. <laughs> yeah, kind of. People are like, why is this called a gospel? Because traditionally, gospels are like the life and works of Jesus, and this is more like a bunch of sayings, and some of them are attributed to Jesus, and sometimes there's a little bit of setup, like, Jesus walked into a restaurant and then was like, the food here sucks, let's leave. You know, like, it wasn't like a... And then Jesus was born in a manger, and then Jesus yeah. got crucified. Like, like you're totally setting up a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus walked into a restaurant. He walked into a bar. Peter, in this book, says something kind of shitty about Mary not being worthy. 
He's just jealous. I was just going to say, so Peter's just shitty. Yeah. He's just when jealous. Peter He's holds just... the keys to heaven. So in in most interpretations, Peter is like Jesus' right-hand man, like holds the keys to heaven, is the chief disciple, like is Jesus' favorite. Mm-hmm. And so a really consistent story that we see, especially in these apocryphal gospels, is that Peter seems to be very jealous of Mary Magdalene. That mm-hmm. seems to be a very common theme. Probably really Mary up there holding the keys to heaven. I mean, but so in this, in this gospel, Peter says something shitty about Mary not being worthy. And then Jesus says they can become worthy. And then it says something really weird. Apparently the translation is kind of questionable. He says something like by becoming men, women can become worthy apparently it was kind of a thing that this got mentioned really obliquely in one of the sources that i read so i don't really understand it conceptually but apparently there was a kind of theory that women are impure versions of men where like you're working on it but like once you get better i don't know if it's like you'll be reborn as a man or like just say reincarnation or like you have all the spiritual baggage and once you lose that then you'll be spiritually a man or like what i don't i don't fully understand or like that. what a penis grows later in life kind of odd uh well we have to come back to the gospel of thomas in just a second because there's a later apocryphal gospel that's going to be really big but i want to talk about philip first because philip is the one that like this is the one that made all of the waves with the da vinci code okay okay so this has a lot to say. The Gospel of Philip is, again, also written in Coptic. It has a lot to say about marriage as, like, kind of a spiritual institution. This is the one where it calls Mary Magdalene Jesus's uh, koinonos, or a Coptic equivalent of it. And that word means, like, companion, but also, like, partner, but also, like, comrade. Or why? Exactly. Uh, in other parts of the Bible, it gets used from things that range from spouse to, like, business partner. Because uh, remember that the New Testament is written in Greek. So, like, the Greek word koinonos is actually what is being used in the text. I, I think it's really important that in other parts of the text, the word wife is used, which seems to indicate that he's not talking about a partner. But the Gospel of Philip is also the one that says Jesus loved Mary Magdalene better than any of the other disciples, and that he would often kiss her on the, and then there's a hole in the document, so we don't see what he kisses her on. I'm sorry. Mm. There's a hole in the document? Yeah, it's a fucking ancient piece of papyrus. It's a small hole in the thing that is like, you can't read what the word is. Well, isn't that interesting? And then apparently, the word that I mean, right? Hold out. In, in everything that I've read about the Gospel of Philip, it does not seem that anyone... No, it's totally head. Like, <laughs> I mean... The, the general consensus is mouth. People seem to really think that it's mouth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, and later in the text, it seems that the disciples are offended by the fact that Jesus kisses her on location. So it makes sense that it would be somewhere that's not like hand, you know? Yeah. Um, but it, it's really important to say that kissing was not necessarily like sexual at the yeah. time either. That's what There's, my next question was going to be. It was like, yeah. is it like, would it be normal for him to kiss the other disciples? Right. There's lots of kissing in the Bible that seems to be completely platonic. Uh, when Judas betrays Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he brings in a bunch of Roman soldiers, and he says, hey guys, the one that I kiss is the one that you're looking for. And he walks up to Jesus and kisses him. And it's like, okay, so... So it kind of reminds me of, like, European, like, like you know, it's just... Yeah, you know, it seems to be that way. However, that's very, very Godfather... Of like, mm. you know, I'm gonna give oh, him, but, oh, I'm gonna seal it with a kiss, and then you're gonna kiss swim with the fishes. Death, man. Mm-hmm. 
Dude, that's fucking real. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm telling you, those godfathers, mm. they know what's about. So anyway, it, it doesn't seem to be romantic and sexual, and koinonos can mean anything. So, like, <laughs> the fact that Jesus kisses her and the fact that she is his, like, comrade doesn't seem to be... I mean, it doesn't... It doesn't it's not evidence against them being a couple, but, like, it's kind of inconclusive, in my yeah. opinion. Thinking about the possibility that they are married brings us to the gospel of Jesus' wife. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, there's a gospel called Jesus' Wife. It is, no, it's just... That's it's horribly called, titled. It's called The Gospel of Jesus' Wife, is what it's called. Oh. Fan fiction. What? Heather wrote it. Um, so it's really, really tiny. It's just like a few inches. It's a scrap of papyrus. It's like not it's actually... It's not a full gospel. It's like four lines, I think. I read it. It was published in 2012, and it includes the phrase, Jesus said, my wife. And then it cuts off. It says, Jesus said, my wife, and that's where the papyrus was torn. The papyrus was dated to the Middle Ages. And with most of these um, apocryphal gospels or scriptures, whatever, most of the, like, style, it seems that they were originally written in Greek. The originals are lost. But the Greek was translated to Coptic. We have the Coptic, but but you can tell that it was originally written in Greek, if that makes sense. And so they would be from a century or two later, but the content would be from earlier so the fact that the papyrus is dated to the middle ages and that it's written in coptic is like pretty big deal yeah and it was proposed that yeah it's the only surviving version of the greek original so then i read an entire academic essay about how it's forged which is super cool okay i'm really excited about this uh, we can post the PDF to the academic article in our Facebook group uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. in case Dang. anyone hates having a good time and really wants to dig through some wheezy shit. <laughs> so um, there's a scholar at Oxford. Notes. There's a scholar at Oxford who did a line-for-line analysis of the Coptic in the text. And there are a couple of things like a preposition is missing. And it's like not really a mistake, but like it's kind of weird. But, you know, our understanding of Coptic from 200 CE is, like, not that great. So, like, it's plausible that, you know, something blah, blah, blah. But then all of the text in the Gospel of Jesus' Wife appears in the Gospel of Thomas. All of it. You could super easily, like, borrow a phrase here, a phrase there, a couple of words, tweak an ending, and then compile all of that together into the message that you want it to be. And if you got your hands on a piece of papyrus that was really, really old, then all you would have to do is throw stuff on. Anyway, um, there are lots of, like, when you really dig into it, it seems that there are other grammatical mistakes. Apparently line six is just nonsense. Because there's only four lines. I lied. Turns out that there, I, I think there are... Only six, but <laughs> I was like, wait a second, content. You can't trust a damn thing. You can't says. trust me. I'm a liar. This whole no. episode has been just one Crap. big. Anyway, lie. there are very few lines. There are at least six because in my notes it says line six is nonsense. <laughs> so it seems that this is another reason why it's super fake. Is that um, one of the modern Coptic resources? Uh, I can't remember exactly what the situation is. The the article will say it. It's that it uh, the modern resource either doesn't explain something very clearly or it makes some kind of mistake or something but whoever forged it seems to have made the same mistake that the modern resource used so it's like a consistent it's a a a resource that anyone who is reading you know coptic from this time period would have read obviously the forger was paying attention but not quite good enough attention to not make a mistake 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, I got super excited about that. It's just, it, it's such a really brilliant um, example of spotting a forgery by saying, you know, all of these words and phrases exist in the Gospel of Thomas, and it would be very easy for a forger to, like, borrow them all. It's not, like, a 100% thing that it must clearly be fake, but it really, really seems that it's fake. And yeah. the, the methodology is super interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. anything that pops up in 2012 about something that old, mm-hmm. like, seems mm-hmm. a little. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I know that you yeah. want it, it to be true. It's true. Well, you know, and there's so much fake news today, so. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to talk about the Da Vinci Code? Yes. Yes. I've been waiting this whole fucking episode. Oh, it's about fucking yeah. time. Me and a high rotator cuff could do that stretch to yeah. Uh, so, the Da Vinci Code mm-hmm. claims that Mary Magdalene was pregnant at the crucifixion. Yes. She escaped Judea. She had a daughter that Jesus' descendants continue to this day. Mm-hmm. So interesting that he yes. had a daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, which also kind of is interesting, right? It's uh, like an apocryphal story that seems to kind of draw from the inspiration of women at the crucifixion, women at the resurrection, the, mm-hmm. the bloodline is female. Mm-hmm. Which is also mm-hmm. kind of an odd... Kind of feminist thing. Yeah. The the story also says that the Holy Grail is actually the womb of Mary Magdalene and mm-hmm. the bloodline of Jesus. Mm-hmm. That the Knights Templar were protecting it. That the Church is trying to keep it quiet because obviously the Church gets its legitimacy from being the caretakers of the legacy of Jesus. Blah blah blah. And like, like as I was looking through this, honestly, it's a fucking it's a good story. Mm, a really good story. If you if you want a really enticing, really thrilling narrative. You loop in a couple of super controversial takes, like the Jesus had kids, which was like completely unheard of in 2006 or whenever that came out. Yeah. You loop in a bunch of historical events and a bunch of um, historical actors who, you know, the Knights Templar are kind of iconic, but people don't really know a lot about them. Yeah. So it's super easy to kind of co-opt their legacy and mm-hmm. suddenly you get a medieval link. So it's not Jesus had a daughter and now we're talking about it today. It's like Jesus had a daughter and there were co-conspirators and there's a whole mm-hmm. like waving legacy. Um, and, you know, it, it co-ops a Western Civ textbook at a certain point. You know, yeah. um, in, the, in the movie, I remember there's a part where um, he says the, that the bloodline of Jesus goes through the Merovingian kings in France. Like, that's a very specific little tidbit. Like, people don't talk about the Merovingian kings of France very often. Like, that yeah. is a, that's a very specific type of link, which yeah. is really interesting. What are the Merovingian kings? They're, it's kind of a long story. They ended up taking the throne in France in, like, the early days after the fall of the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. That's when it was still kind of a nebulous territory. Gotcha. Merovingian kings? Ooh, I don't think so. Okay. Because uh, it's M-E-R-O. Mm, I tried. Yeah, you're really good at that. You That's can... what Dan Brown did. That made a really good story. So, yeah. That's literally how he got Holy Grail. He said San Real, mm-hmm. like Holy Grail, mm-hmm. instead of San Real, mm-hmm. Holy or Royal Blood. Like he literally moved the G over, and he's like, that misunderstanding is like the whole point of the Holy Grail mythology. Mm-hmm. Whoa, Dan. Right. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Dan. And apparently, I found this out, it is super fucking interesting. So um, there are conspiracy theorists who wrote a nonfiction book that they published that is basically the source for a lot of the Da Vinci Code. It has Mary Magdalene escaping to France. It has Mary Magdalene having a daughter. It has the daughter's name being Sarah. Like, it is 
the story in a lot of ways that Dan Brown borrowed from. And Dan Brown cited it as a source because they published it as nonfiction. Yeah. And obviously you can cite a nonfiction source. But they got uh, really annoyed because obviously he just kind of co-opted their whole story. So they sued yeah. the publisher. Ooh. Uh, mm. As like, you know, you, you've stolen our story, all of this, you know, um, intellectual property that you've infringed upon. And the argument from the publisher was like, this is published as nonfiction. Like, it's super speculative nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously you can't corroborate most yeah. of these details and you're kind of out there conspiracy wackos. But yeah. like... We've cited the source, mm-hmm. yeah. and so they didn't win the loot. They, uh, the publisher won the lawsuit. Whoa! Never mm-hmm. cite any of your material as nonfiction, folks. <laughs> That's what we've learned from this. That's the yeah, whole always takeaway. Always <laughs> publish as fiction, even if you're very convinced of your conspiracy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. just be like, listen, I've got to protect this idea, <laughs> fiction, with a really good forward. Please do not come to us for publishing advice. We don't know how to do it. The Da Vinci Code also does a couple of other like interesting details with the Bible, like the story of the beloved disciple. Mm -hmm. kind of gets co-opted by the Da Vinci Code. So this is only present in the Gospel of John. And the traditional understanding is that it's John writing himself into the story. Yeah. Where it'll be like, Jesus went and did X, Y, and Z, and the the disciple that he loved was also there. Where it's like, the disciple that he loved is just kind of chilling. Like, why why are we bothering to mention them? But if the disciple that he loved is the writer, then it's the writer being like, and I was there, so I can talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're saying in the Da Vinci Code that it was actually Mary. Yeah, uh, it's because... I need to rewatch this. Movie. I know, I was <laughs> going to say, turn it on! Yeah. <laughs> Let's watch it now. For example, in The Last Supper, uh, Mary Magdalene in, in the Da Vinci Code, they say that Mary Magdalene is the person seated to Jesus's... Because um... he looks like a... He mm-hmm. looks like a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they're like, whoever that is next to Jesus, like, looks like a woman... Uh, and is apparently wearing opposite colors, I think is one of the arguments. Mm-hmm. And, and so like, it must be his partner. And if you put them together, it looks like they're like... In a V. Yeah. Which is the, the symbol of the woman's womb. That's the feminine symbol, blah, blah, mm. blah. So first of all, Leonardo da Vinci in particular did a lot of gender bending, which is really clear from his other paintings. If you look at the painting um, of St. John the Baptist that Leonardo da Vinci did... That face, obviously it's St. John the Baptist, that's the title, it is supposed to be a man. That face is very androgynous, and that face actually looks quite a lot like the person in The Last Supper that people are saying looks like they could be Mary Magdalene. So that's, it just seems like sometimes he did men that way, like I don't know what to tell you. And also, because John is traditionally understood to be the beloved disciple, people kind of give him feminine energy anyway, especially yeah. in the Renaissance. So, like, that's really not that weird. Yeah. It's, it's actually very explainable. And um, there was another, one of the other uh, kind of footnotes to this is that there were other precedents from uh, other artists in the Renaissance to just paint Mary in The Last Supper. It wouldn't have been weird. If Leonardo da Vinci wanted to paint Mary at the table, he could have just done it. Why would he disguise her as a, uh, you know, as one of the other disciples, but make her look manly enough to have some plausible deniability. Like, he could have just put her in the damn painting. But wasn't the idea that he was, like, a knight of the Templar, so he's trying to protect her? Yeah. But also, if you're a part of a secret society, why would you paint the symbols of your secret society and then give them to your clientele? You know what I mean? Like, if you're a part of a secret society, the point is to keep it a fucking secret. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci is 
pretty much a narcissist, I think. He was a really interesting dude, but I think it's pretty clear that he was not a part of a conspiracy to protect the descendants of Jesus. Says you. Says me. Anyway, the, the this thing about the beloved disciple from the Gospel of John is like a really um, big co-opt for Mary Magdalene. It happens to also be a really big co-opt for the uh, gay Jesus theory, which is also like, as a gay person who would love if Jesus turned out to be gay somehow, there just isn't a lot of substantiation, but there isn't really a lot of substantiation for any of Jesus's sexuality. So you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Yeah. The idea that there is a disciple that Jesus loves quite a lot and that he is very close to, and he does seem to have a very um, intimate emotional connection with his disciples. Uh, he's chilling around with a bunch of dudes, but the idea that, you know, his beloved one is John and he is beloved is like a really big thing for gay monarchs in like the middle ages. So James the first of England known for the King James Bible, uh, cause he had the Bible translated. Frederick the great of Prussia was like notably gay. I think he's quoted with saying something like, fate is a woman or I'm doomed because fate is a woman and I don't swing that way yeah. or something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like these, these gay monarchs or um, at least monarchs who are interested in men were like crazy for the idea of John because it kind of validated some of their own identity, which mm -hmm. I think is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The beloved disciple theory doesn't seem to hold a lot of water too because at one point in the gospel of John, Mary Magdalene addresses the beloved disciple. So like, it doesn't seem to be her. Mm. and like you can say oh well they added that in to you know dissociate it from her but it's like now we're reaching a really like yeah so uh and okay it's worth noting too while we're talking about jesus and his love relationships it wouldn't be out of the realm that jesus was unmarried or celibate there were attested groups in judea that were doing, you know, this uh, various offshoots of the kind of Judaism, kind of like Jesus was doing, who remained unmarried. Maybe he was into dudes, maybe he was into ladies, maybe he pursued either of those, maybe he did nothing. Like, we truly have zero idea. Well, either way, besides being born to die for our sins, didn't God want to have the human experience? And isn't love part of the human experience? It's a really interesting question, and it, it kind of varies church by church. We do have a Mary problem, which we have alluded to a couple of times, but I want to address more head-on. Uh, the name Mary in Hebrew or Aramaic, it's Mariam. In Greek, it's Maria. And like all of the various offshoots of that are obviously everywhere in language now. It was a super common name in the first century, um, which is obviously when Jesus lived and when his mother lived. It is obviously still a very important name. It's all over the place. Um, at that time, it had a connection to the um, the Hasmonean and the Herodian dynasties. So the, that's the um, dynasty before the Romans and the dynasty under the Romans. And so like, there are a lot of people named Mary because like it's kind of a, a name in vogue at the time. And that's probably why they keep calling Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, instead of just Mary who did X, Y, and Z because they're like trying to distinguish her. So we have Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene. There's a woman named Mary of Bethany. Um, she is, there's a story of the sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus is like in their house. He's talking to Mary and Mary is sitting there listening diligently. And he's like, you're doing such a good job, sweetie. And Martha is like, 
running around full Tasmanian devil, like trying to get the house in order. And she's like, Mary, could you fucking help me? And then she looks at Jesus and she's like, Jesus, can you tell her to fucking help me? Can you not see that I'm fucking busy? And Jesus is like, hello, hi, son of God. She's listening to me. I'm rather important. Like, maybe you should sit down and shut your fucking mouth, Martha. I don't care if you haven't vacuumed. I don't care if you haven't fucking va- vacuumed. Your dust Is it board. not obvious that you need to be listening to what I am saying? Mm-hmm. And the- I'm Martha. I'm Martha. <laughs> <laughs> but that's Mary of Bethany. And then... What does he do with them? Uh, with Mary of Bethany like, and Martha? Yeah. It means it literally just like he just talks um, to them. So they... That's also the story of Lazarus. So Mary and Martha are sisters. They have a brother, Lazarus. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So you're gonna say raises him like, like brings his brings like him son. back no. to life. No, yeah, like he's dead, and uh, Jesus goes to his grave and says, "Lazarus, come out!" And Lazarus comes out. He's like, "Okay." Uh, so one of Jesus's sisters maybe named Mary. Uh, there's a there's a woman later who's a saint who lived in like the 300s. Her name is Mary of Egypt. Who washed his feet with her hair and dried. So that's a woman. That's a woman who was not. I don't think I she's named. Say that's who Mary Mag Mary Magdalene got confused with at some point because she was a woman of ill repent. Yes. So that was just a sinful woman, mm-hmm. and Mary does get associated with her. Yeah. And we'll talk about that again in just a second. So sorry. <laughs> no, but you're on the right track. Jesus, Heather. <laughs> uh, and then, but uh, Mary Magdalene also gets filled in for any um, unnamed women or women named Mary. Just like, if it's a Mary, it's probably Mary Magdalene. There's a medieval interpretation. If you remember the story of the wedding at Cana, which is the time Jesus turns water into wine. Mm-hmm. In this medieval interpretation, Mary Magdalene is the bride at that wedding. So it's just like, there was a woman who was there, like, it could have been her or whatever. We're truly just like freewheeling with the label. And that's important because that's how she gets smeared. In the 500s, she starts to be associated with prostitution when Pope Gregory I combines Mary Magdalene and Mary of Bethany, and then also the sinful woman who washes Jesus' feet. Typical Gregory. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, and so it's important that it's all three of them, right? It's it's Mary Magdalene, it's Mary of Bethany, and it's the sinful woman. The sinful woman in the Gospel of John is Mary of Bethany, which is kind of confusing. We have divisions into divisions. But anyway, all those stories get kind of amalgamated. It's important to remember that Pope Gregory is called Pope Gregory the Great. He's like a fucking important pope. He's not like Joe Blow from Kokomo who won the papal election and then like... He's around for, like, three years, and then no one gives a shit about him, but he did happen to make Mary Magdalene a hooker. Like, he's a big deal. He Christianized the Anglo-Saxons, which was, like, you know, important. That's, like, a, a, a very important time in history from a very important historical figure, so obviously this gets a lot of gravitas, which is probably the reason why it sticks. It's maybe not the first time that that association gets made, but it's definitely the time that it's kind of the full swing, okay, this is how we're thinking of Mary Magdalene from now on. And so we kind of lean in then. She had a lot of money. She must have been a hooker. Uh, she, If she's a repentant prostitute following Jesus around, then that means that she was even lower, which means her repentance brings her even higher, which makes her kind of an, a saintly figure, you know? Yeah. She's kind of nicer um, as an idealized figure in the religion. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pope Gregory also identifies the seven demons cast out of her as representing the seven deadly sins. So we're like full. Oh, I was on that. You were on it. Yeah. 
Tara, you nailed it. Into the sin. I'm basically writing the Bible. We really are. It's important to remember, too, that the Eastern Orthodox Church was never really about the whole Mary Magdalene as a prostitute thing. And uh, it wasn't, like, universal in the West, but, like, it became, like, a very big deal. So then the question is just what, um, whatever happened to her? Yeah, what I'm I'm literally on the edge of my palate that <laughs> they created me. <laughs> she escaped to France, had Sarah, and is buried underneath the Louvre. One of the stories is that she moved to Ephesus, which is on the coast of modern day Turkey. Um, Turkey that was a very Greek kind of area yeah. um, through the Byzantine period. They say that she moved to Ephesus with the Virgin Mary, so she just like hooked up with Jesus's mom, and they were like, "Let's be gal pals." Where was Joseph? Um, I don't know. He's you know, yeah, probably, probably dead. Joseph. Joseph was considerably older than Mary. Yeah. Mm. So if considerably, so considerably. if Jesus is thirty something, then Mary is forty something. Jesus, because Mary was ten. Well, Mary <laughs> probably was like fifteen. Yeah. No, there's. I, uh, I read somewhere that she was thirteen. <gasps> yeah, she was probably. She could have been. I can't remember like if that's that, in the because he or married not. her at like twelve, because that was the standard marriage age for most girls during that time and so most likely if they were married at 12 and I think somewhere and they die at 20 and yeah, yeah and somewhere real. in the writing it said that they'd been married for like a year and had been trying to have a baby of their own for a year so or do they no she was a virgin I, yeah yeah I, whoa 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 I've gone too no. far uh you're you're definitely right that she would have been very young yeah. I can't remember if it's in the bible or her ages I yeah I just can't remember off the top of my head she is Probably um, younger than 16. Mm, but but she is engaged to Joseph yes. when yeah. she gets pregnant. Mm-hmm. So like that's, that's a significant detail. So she either moved to Ephesus with the Virgin Mary and they did like a um, Grace and Frankie kind of situation. Say, Golden Girl type. Like, <laughs> yeah. Miami. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> they're at the beach. They're looking for honks. Yeah. Um, sometimes, sometimes she moves there after the Virgin Mary dies. Like it's interesting that she seems to have in these legends. She has a very close relationship with Jesus's mom. Like, yeah. why else? Because she's her daughter-in-law. Yeah. yeah. And they gotta watch Sarah. Mm-hmm. So then there's a different legend from the 1200s that after the crucifixion, pagans throw her, Martha, and Lazarus, because they're siblings in this version of the story, into a rudderless boat, and they miraculously make it to France. Like, they sail all the way across the Mediterranean, kind of just by the grace of God, and then once they're there, they start converting locals. So then they keep going off of this story. There's a really grotesque story uh, where Mary converts a pagan governor. Uh, His wife gets miraculously pregnant. They have a baby. The baby dies. Then... The guy leaves the living baby with the dead wife and then hangs out with St. Peter for a couple of years in Rome. And then when he comes back to go back to France, the baby is miraculously alive on the dead mother's breast milk. Like, it's very Middle Ages, like, weird fucked up story. Then the mother comes back to life and says that Mary brought her back. Yeah, it's, it's fucking weird. In a lot of versions, uh, whether or not this happens first is obviously kind of out there, but uh, Mary lives the rest of her life in a desert or a cave as a um, penitent ascetic, which means that, um, like, if you think of um, people who are super devout to the point where they're, like, starving themselves, where you're just, like, living in the wilderness, praying all day, barely subsisting. Naked and and afraid. Naked and afraid, exactly. (laughs) And then... 
In this medieval legend, she gets to be so unattached to her personal belongings. She doesn't bother buying new clothes, and the clothes just, like, wear right off of her body. Like, she just wears them to rags and doesn't give a shit. But then she would be naked, and everyone in uh, medieval Europe is super, like, uptight about that. Yeah. So she mysteriously grows hair all over her body that covers her. Like a monkey? Yeah. Like, like Bigfoot? Yeah. Literally, like if you look up some of the medieval portrayals of her, she's either like nude and sexy and like, I used to be a hooker, but I choose not to like be Lady anymore. Like Godiva. Or she's Bigfoot. like covered in hair like Bigfoot. It's a really interesting kind of cinematic parallel because your hair, hair is very like lusty. It's like a, a symbol of beauty and mm -hmm. a symbol of sex. And so the idea that she has hair that covers her whole body to stop her from being naked to kind of protect her modesty oh, is wow. like... Oh wow, yeah, it becomes like a little like armor type situation. Yeah. It protects her. Oh, wow. So it's like her, her, the thing that made her beautiful makes her ugly now. Is she a ginger? I mean, everyone. Yeah, she's often portrayed as a ginger as well. Huh. How oh. weird. Why is she yeah. so hairy? <laughs> Literally, to, pr to protect her modesty. And I mean, it kind, of, it kind of goes around that if people do her covered in hair, but her boobs are poking out, which is sometimes how it happens. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's like, I'm... Sometimes you just can't control them. Right. Yeah, yeah listen... These pictures that I'm looking up, it's very, um, like, Venus, Greek mythology-esque. Mm -hmm. Well, what did you Google so the listeners know? Harry Mary? I'm going to put it... <laughs> Harry Mary. <laughs> I'm going to put it on the Facebook page, my top three. Like, I'm really liking this one where she's, like, weirdly cupping her breasts. I really like that one, too. Yeah. But she also looks like Carrie of the Hendersons. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's... But it's yeah. not like she has... She doesn't have, like, hair on her face. No. I mean, she's still very beautiful. She's still very beautiful. But yeah. it's like... But that kind of textural... Yeah. You know, hair. Yeah. I'll put it on the Facebook page. Yeah. She's not the patron saint of out-of-control pubes that I'm aware of. <laughs> but maybe she should be. Yeah. Maybe. Around the same time that these legends get to be popular, there are a bunch of monks in France that claim to discover her bones. Hmm. That happened in a couple of different places in France. It, 2012. It's like a real, right? <laughs> it's like a real thing that, like, there's there's a different theory that's kind of similar where Joseph of Arimathea, who, again, paid for Jesus's tomb, goes to England after the crucifixion and plants one of the thorns from the crown of thorns at Glastonbury. And, like, one of the trees that grows thorns there is, like, from Joseph of Arimathea. These are called, um, I learned what they're called. They're called pious frauds. Whereas, like, you know, the people of France are Christian, they're, like, really leaning into it now because having converted, they're like, wouldn't it be cool if, we like, all of the sacred sites for this religion are in a faraway land, what if we had sacred sites here? And it's not because they want to, like, trick people. There's, they're not, like, trying to beef up the tourist industry. Yeah, it's not like they're Provence. trying to make a Walt Disney World. Yeah, they're just like, wouldn't it be cool if we had a spiritual attachment to our country? So, like, yeah. that's... I get it. That's kind of fair. Yeah. So that's the story of... Of Mary Magdalene. Wherever she ends up, she definitely dies, probably, but we don't really know. It's me. <laughs> I'm actually Mary Magdalene. Could you imagine? Oh my god. You're, you're, you've got to be related somehow. You have to be. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sarah Tara, it's so close. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth saying, too, that sometimes the baby's name is not Sarah. Okay. Like, that's not a universal thing, so... It's interesting to me because I was thinking of it in terms of, you know... Um, Jesus having a sexuality one way or another way or maybe no way, like, who can tell? But the default that has been established by most Christian traditions is that Jesus didn't have a wife. Mm -hmm. uh, but then, like, I was talking to my sister about it, 
And she was like, oh, yeah, he absolutely had a wife. And I was like, oh, like, I thought this was kind of a fringe thing. And she's like, I mean, listen, there were so many societal pressures to get married. It was probably not a big enough deal to write down in the Bible or anything. Whatever. It, it doesn't really affect the message in most interpretations. So there you go. And I was like, oh. <laughs> okay. My point being that, like, you never you never know. It, it's not as out there as it sounds. But, yeah. Um, I can't wait to go home and ask Clay. He's probably going to tell you that. Does, does no. he ever think, I mean, I know, like, here it's, you know, Jesus is white or whatever, but mm-hmm. doesn't he look kind of androgynous to you? Like, the way he's depicted, like, in well, and, in paintings and even on the cross? Mm-hmm. I think, like, to Mike's point is that a lot of the artistic representations of Jesus that we've mm-hmm. seen was done in the Middle Ages, and so mm-hmm. much of that art style was kind of feminine and androgynous mm-hmm. that I just think that that's just the most popular that could be, yeah. way. To the point that we were talking about um, in our Angels episode when we talk about how, um, damn girl, are you an angel because you have no tits. Mm-hmm. If you think of Jesus as a sexless being, then you think of him as kind of the union of male and female in his person so that he's not mm-hmm. worried trying to find his feminine half. So mm-hmm. it makes sense to portray Jesus as androgynous as a function of his asexuality, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, Mary Magdalene, what um, did you guys learn? Can I just tell you that this is my most hated part of the episode? I think we need to keep it, but I uh, literally get school age like, oh, I've been listening, <laughs> oh I swear. I have to give a report yeah. now. Yeah. Um, okay, so I learned that she's a very controversial figure in the terms of that Nobody really knows, like, what her role was with Jesus, but they just know that she she was important to him and that she very much supported what his goals were and that she wanted to be part of that. Now, I think she was a baller bitch with some money bags. Mm-hmm. I think that she definitely went against what were the standards yep. of a woman's place in the time. And I think that she also honestly... I, I don't like the she went back to put to spice rub him when he was dead because I don't understand how that door got open. <laughs> and so I, I'm I'm still on that little that hangs me up. You know, that's fair. Mm-hmm. And I also think that she was not a whore. Oh yeah. She was not a whore. Um Mostly I learned, I'm scared of Heather. <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say I learned that Heather knows much more about Mary Magdalene just like as a baseline than I did before I did the research for this. Yeah. Yeah. I will never forget that call of her <laughs> being like, did you see that Mary Magdalene's on the schedule? Well, he- She's not a whore. <laughs> well, Heather, what did you learn about Mary Magdalene? <laughs> She's like, nothing. 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 You can say nothing, that's fine. Yeah. Nothing. No, I mean, you just went into it. I mean, I knew basically the stuff that I mm-hmm. said out front, but you kind of delved a little bit deeper and... You know, I just really love that back then, back in the day when women were considered nothing more than property property or cattle, that a woman played such an important role in, you know, not only Jesus's life, but the formation of millions and millions of people's beliefs Mm -hmm. and that she, you know, I mean, she basically bankrolled his ministry and I don't know if any of this really could have happened without Mary Magdalene. And, you know, I just wish I could have lunch with her sometime. You know? <laughs> oh my God, I right? mean, Gosh. you know, 
She is she your is, if you could bring anybody alive, she but is, alive or dead, and have a meal with them. Who would you choose? She's yours, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene. That's so sweet. That's really sweet. I really like that. Yeah. We stand for a real good woman mm-hmm. protagonist mm-hmm. to any. We stand and, the apostle to the apostles, bitch. Yes. But also the fact that Jesus didn't care. You know, yeah, you're a woman, but you're just as. Mm-hmm. As, as, as smart, important. as important mm-hmm. as a man, and when Peter and all these other apostles went up, and because they were, you know, slighted or pissed off because, hey, you know, why are you listening to this woman? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's just like, she, you know, she's just as important as you. Yeah. You know, it was just, it's just so, beautiful. like you said, so epic, so beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, I love that so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I think that was really good. Yeah, I do too. And I just want to tell everyone that Maxaritas are coming to a shelf so near you. <laughs> <laughs> Again. They are They're really good. good. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. So that wraps up Mary Magdalene. Uh, mm-hmm. Next time we will be back with the story of Genesis again, and we are doing Noah and the Flood. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm so excited for this. Oof. Okay. Okay. Uh, we will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for listening, and bye bye. Smooches. Stay safe. <laughs>
he fucks a woman in front of her. He It says that he, like, takes a woman from his side, so it, to me it's kind of unclear if he's taking Mary Magdalene and fucking her, if there's a different woman and he's fucking her, but yeah. he fucks a woman on top of a mountain, and Mary Magdalene is there, and then he eats his own cum and says, thus must we do that we may live. So we have to so, eat our own cum to live. So the guy does. So that's what they're, yeah, they're <laughs> like, mm-mm, mm-hmm. no, no. <laughs> so their communion is super sexual. They eat cum and they drink menstrual blood. Um, this dude will not shut up about eating cum. It, it, he just keeps fucking talking about it. And in his writing, he's like, he's like, it's so disgusting. I can't even believe that I'm writing about this, but they eat their own cum all the time. And I'm like, why are you talking about it that? Like, it's just... <laughs> Just, uh, like, into a cup they go, and, they, I guess. and they're yeah. all like, <laughs> 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 Like, you don't, like, menstrual Ugh. blood must be hard to collect like that. Like, what do we, so anyway, they, they have a bunch of sex in their ceremonies. Can you they're... imagine, like, a diva cup? Like I know, I, I, like, <laughs> that's exactly where my mind <laughs> went. <I'm> like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> the God. prehistoric diva cup that they just get in there, and they're like, yeah, they're passing them all around. Their communion is super sexual. They're fucking each other. They're eating cum. They're drinking menstrual blood. Uh, if a baby is conceived during the ceremonies, they abort it and then they eat the fetus. They like he specifically <laughs> he specifically says that they fucking season it enough that they can tolerate it, and then everybody gets a little piece. Okay, how do they get it out? Right. I have no in idea what the 300s. medical standards are in the three hundreds. I mean, the only way I'm thinking is that. The woman is sacrificed because they're gonna have to cut it out. I mean, maybe. I mean, well, and the like. Well, and this is the thing too. Like, obviously, Epiphanes of Salamis herbs. was like mm-hmm. he hated these people. This sounds like a crazy Facebook conspiracy theory that your craziest aunt would ever have. And like, mm-hmm. and you notice the you notice the association too. It's Mary, Mary Magdalene, heresy, and sex. Like, mm-hmm. she's a hooker. She had a dark path. If you fall off the path of righteousness, you end up in the dark path. Obviously, Mary Magdalene is a center of their scripture, and so therefore they have all of these sexual perversions because they're not doing it right. You know what I mean? But I mean, for me, she just was forced to watch. She wasn't partaking. No, she was not participating. She was a witness. I mean, I suppose that's true. I assume that the Borborite scriptures involve her. I mean, if she was the main witness to this act that Jesus does and the story gets circulated among the Borborite Christians, then... You know, it, it seems she, like she's spreading the word that this is what they should do. Mm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Again, it's all probably fake. It all sounds like a super insane conspiracy theory. There's no way medically <laughs> or logistically that you could actually make that happen. Blah, blah, blah. But isn't that, isn't that quite a thing? Interesting. Is there a link? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can um, find where the... Yeah, I think we have to. Yeah. The writing for that is, honestly, the, just, the text is very dry, of That's course, just too but, crazy. Yeah, that is. Yeah. O-M-G. Okay, so they have to fuck every day, but then they have to eat their cum. I think that the people who fuck every day, I might be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure the people who fuck every day are different from the people who eat cum. Okay, okay. Whew. Good. Because that would have been it. So what happens if they don't fuck that day? I... They don't get in heaven. Maybe you need to fuck twice the next day? I truly don't know. Oh my god, it's like you're, when you miss your birth control. control. <laughs> I was just gonna say, oh, like a birth control. You should probably have to take two the next day. Folks, do not do that. You will get a baby. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that is that's our bonus segment oh. for today. Honestly, I that was love the bonus segment. Honestly, hope you come up with more bonus you episodes because that that yeah. was a ring dinger. <laughs> that was such a, a pleasant surprise. Yes, and we were all the edge of our seats <laughs> the like, whole time. We were like, "What is this gonna be?" Yeah. Yeah.
Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you. Please come again. And don't tell your therapist about the podcast. At least not yet. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. Bye. 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 <clears throat>